Well, good morning, Chapel family. Wow, great to worship with you today. Just awesome. Um, and so looking forward to this week. You know, the night to shine uh, never gets old. And we've got hundreds of volunteers. We have more guests coming than we've ever had before. Um, if you can imagine this room filled with a dance floor and banquet tables. I mean, if you've never been here, it's just amazing. So pray for Friday. Uh, there's a, there are probably dozens, if not hundreds, of volunteers in this room right now. Can we just thank them for giving their time to volunteer in that? Thank you, guys. So we're spending this, spending this winter uh, walking through the Gospel of Mark, and one of the first things that happens is that Jesus calls people to follow him. So he, he gathers his disciples. And, and we've been saying every week that he's still doing the same thing, that Jesus is still calling us to follow him and be his disciples. The world will continue to tell you, just follow your heart and everything will be great. And Jesus constantly whispers, no, no, follow me. It'll be, it'll be much better. So when you look at those original disciples who followed Jesus, uh, they made a huge decision to leave behind their old lives and to give themselves to his mission and, and following him wherever he led them. So they understood enough about him to realize that he was worth following. But <laughs> they definitely didn't understand everything, uh, especially at first. And so as you go through the gospel, you see these sort of aha moments where the disciples are realizing things about Jesus that they never knew before. The lights go on, and now they get it more than they used to. It's the same with us. And you, it could be that you've been following Jesus for years, but I can promise you there are things about him that you haven't seen yet. Uh, or there are maybe things that you, you kind of know here, but really you don't know in, in your heart. So in today's passage, the disciples of Jesus are going to discover what does it mean to follow him when your life gets hit by a storm. So we're still in Mark chapter 4, short passage today, verses 35 through 41. So let's hear God's word. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You know what the danger is with stories like that? That we read it, and you've probably seen it a lot of times before, and, and you look at it as a nice little Sunday school story. Here's the disciples in their boat. Oh, here come the scary waves. Whatever will they do? Right? You can look at it as something that's just like almost cartoonish. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you thought you might die? Like you might be close to death? I've shared with you guys before my, my near drowning experience a couple of years ago. It was actually Labor Day of 2020. I was body surfing at the Jersey Shore by myself late, late in the day. Waves were incredible. The rides were amazing. 
I was having the time of my life until I wasn't because I couldn't get into the shore. And I mean, I've always been a confident swimmer. I've always loved the ocean, but this was different. And, and I got caught in this really strong riptide, which I know you're not supposed to fight a riptide, but at the moment, every instinct in me told me, get to shore, get to shore. And I kept trying and I kept not being able to do it. And I was beginning to get exhausted. And I'm convinced by God's providence, there was a guy on the beach who noticed me struggling he ran about a quarter of a mile down the beach to the only lifeguard still on duty that late in the day. The lifeguard ran down toward me, ran out to me, threw me this flotation device, which I grabbed on, and he pulled me to safety. You ever had a moment like that where you thought, wow, this actually might be it? You know, as I, I think about that day, I have some extremely vivid memories. I'll never forget the guy who noticed me on the beach was wearing red swim trunks, I can still see the guy right now. I remember when I was sitting on the beach afterwards, kind of in shock, I still remember the first thing I drank. It's not what you might think. It was a LaCroix lemon lime seltzer, warm. And I remember how thirsty I was because I had just been struggling for, for 20 minutes with all my strength. I remember the guy on the beach that I knew who came up to me and asked me if I was okay. I can still see the guy's face. I remember going home and, and ordering sushi with Norma Jean and my daughter, Sarah. I mean, extremely vivid memories. And you know, psychologists have a name for that. It's called a flashbulb memory. Remember the old flashbulbs on, on cameras? They would just light up everything in the room. I guess it's sort of like a flash on, on, a, on a phone right now. But psychologists have found that when you experience a traumatic event, it, it sort of lights up everything around it, and you tend to remember the details around that it, it, for a long time. It sort of burns it into your memory. If you're older than 35, 40 years old, I would guess that you remember where you were when you heard about the 9-11 attacks because it's just burned into, into your, your memory. Now think about that scene in the boat again. This was a group of experienced fishermen. They had, they had fished that lake for, for years, and yet this storm was like nothing they'd ever seen. They were convinced that they were going to die. So I mentioned the first week that scholars are pretty unified in, in believing that Mark, when he wrote this gospel, he got most of his eyewitness information from Peter. And Peter, of course, was, was in that boat that day. Did you notice all the details Peter remembered? He remembered that it was the evening. He says, they took Jesus along just as he was in the boat. Probably means they didn't take him back to shore after he had been teaching. Remember, he had been teaching out from the shore for a while because the crowds were so thick. And they just took him right from there and, and took him across the lake. It mentions that there were other boats with him. So what? It doesn't have anything to do with the story. But Peter remembered. He mentions Jesus was asleep in the boat. Not just in general, in the stern, in the back of the boat. And not just sleeping, but sleeping on a cushion. All those little details. For Peter, this was a, a flashbulb memory. And here's why this is important. If you view this as legend, if you view this as, you know, religious myth that you tell stories like this just to kind of build people's faith, this would be such a strange way to do that. If you read ancient myths, they didn't include details like this. They were big and epic. And the best explanation for all that detail is that Peter was actually there and he experienced and it happened just like this. This is not some Sunday school story to give you comfort. This is an account of something that happened to actual people in history. And it's a story of something that very well could, in fact, in some way will happen to you if it hasn't already. 
And when it does, you need to know the Jesus who is in that boat. So as I studied this story, I, I realized that there are actually three big questions that get asked, and those questions sort of frame out the story. So I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at those three big questions. Here's the first one. Don't you care? Don't you care? Verse 18, they wake up Jesus and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So you have to picture the chaos of this moment. I mean, this is not like, you know, a, a quiet question they ask him. They're shouting that. The boat is almost sinking. The waves are taking it up like this. They're trying to bail the boat out, but they're, they're losing the battle, and they realize this could be it. So back in 1633, Rembrandt tried to capture this scene in a painting. It's called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's kind of an awesome painting, isn't it? So cool. So you see the 12 disciples struggling to stay alive. You see Jesus in, in the back of the boat. Interesting thing about this painting, it was kept for years in the Isabella Stewart Gardner Art Museum up in Boston. Uh, but in 1990, two thieves dressed as police officers broke in at night and stole 12 paintings, including this one. It was the biggest art theft in the history of America to this day. Um, Back in 2013, the police announced they knew who did it, but to this day, there still have been no arrests and the paintings are still missing. That has nothing to do with the sermon. I just thought it was really interesting. <laughs> and I guess I would say, if you're at someone's house and they've got this picture hanging up, like 911, you know, call the authorities. So anyway, I couldn't not share that. So through all of that, Jesus is taking a nap which, by the way, doesn't that tell us something about his humanity? He was not Superman, that he got hungry, he got sore, he got tired, and, and he had to sleep. Uh, he was probably exhausted from a full day of teaching. So he actually slept through the storm. Some of you go, oh, I'm a heavy sleeper. You're probably not this heavy of a sleeper. So finally, Jesus' disciples grab him and they shake him. And it, their question is more of an accusation, isn't it? Like, don't you... Don't you see what's happening here? We're about to die. Don't you even care about us? It's a serious question. And it's based on an assumption that if Jesus allows a storm in my life, or worse yet, if he even leads me into a storm, must mean he doesn't care. Because if he cared, he wouldn't let this happen. And the problem is the assumption is faulty. Sometimes God does allow those that he loves to go into storms. Sometimes he doesn't just allow it. Sometimes, like here, he leads them. Do you notice he said, let's go. This is where he wanted them to go. Not because he doesn't care about us, but because there's something bigger going on. James Dobson, the, the author, uh, wrote about a parenting moment when his son Ryan was three years old. Little Ryan had this terrible ear infection that kept him up most of the night. So the next morning, his mother, Shirley, took him to the doctor, and, and he said the doctor was this kind of old, crusty guy, didn't have much patience for squirmy three-year-olds. But he looked in Ryan's ear, and he said the infection's really bad, and there's an infected scab that's adhered itself to his eardrum, and so I need to go in with this long metal instrument and scrape it out. And he said it's going to hurt, so you're going to need to hold your son down on the table. And so Shirley did her best to hold down her son, but he would have none of it. He was screaming, he was squirming. The doctor got really impatient and said, is your husband around? 
So she called her husband, who was nearby. Jim came, and he said, I wrapped my 200-pound frame around my little boy, and I held him down to the table while the doctor did what he had to do. And he said the worst part about it was that as I held him there, I could see in a mirror right across from us, he was looking right into my eyes. And he was screaming, so he wasn't saying any words, but his eyes were saying, Daddy, how could you? I thought I could trust you. I thought you loved me. Don't you care? Doesn't that question get asked in different variations all the time? I thought I believed in God, but for him to let this happen to me or to this person that I love, sometimes it comes out much more angry than that. I could never believe in a God who would allow that. If he's really good and he's really all-powerful, sorry, there's just no way this could happen. For some people, it's a deal breaker. And Dobson said, it was impossible for me to explain to Ryan that his suffering was necessary, that it was love that required me to hold him on the table. How could I tell him of my compassion in that moment? I would have gladly taken his place on the table if possible. I know some of you are in a wicked storm right now. And maybe all you can think is, God, how could you? I thought I could trust you. And God could never explain it to you in a way you could understand. I promise you, though, his heart breaks for you. Never, ever assume that because there's a storm, it means that God doesn't care. It's just not true. Parents, you know that better than anybody. Here's the second question. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? So right after Jesus calms the storm and they're all standing there drenched, their hearts pounding, and it's suddenly calm. In verse 40, Jesus says, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? If I were to ask you, what's the opposite of faith? What would you say? Lack of faith? Unbelief? Doubt? It seems like for Jesus, the opposite of faith is usually fear. It's feeling deeply threatened and unsettled by something or, or someone fear. That's why he says in the same breath, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Because if you have faith, it wouldn't allow for that kind of fear. So I have to say this to all of us. If you struggle with anxiety or worry, if you find yourself always thinking about things that could go wrong, if you often wake up at three in the morning and can't turn off your mind, not that I would know anything about that, but I've talked to people, it means... (laughs) that it's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. I love Psalm 127, verse two. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For, listen, he grants sleep to those he loves. What a great promise. God wants to so put your heart at rest that you can sleep even when there's a storm going on around you. And isn't Jesus demonstrating the reality of this promise right here? God was granting sleep to this one that he loved, right there in the back of that boat. He offers the same thing to us. I was recently walking with a family through the the death of a young husband and father. Struggled with cancer for a while. Traumatic experience for the family. And finally, it took his life. And I remember going into the funeral home the morning of the funeral, and I saw the young widow up front um, being greeted by, by people that came in. So I waited my turn to talk to her. And when it was my turn, I, I, I greeted her and I said, man, I bet you slept about two hours last night. 
And I'll never forget her answer. She said, you know what, Pastor Dave, I slept like a baby. God has so put my heart at rest. And she wasn't just saying what she thought I wanted to hear, like given the right answer. You could see that there was a peace that God had blessed her with in the midst of that experience. And God does that all the time. So if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling worried right now because of some storm or some imagined storm, stop for a minute. Ask yourself what Jesus asked the disciples. Why? Why are you so afraid? Because there's always a reason and it's directly related to your faith. And Jesus says, if you were sure of who I am and how powerful I am and how much I love you, you could be calm even in a storm. You could even sleep. One more big question. This is my favorite one. Who is this? Who is this? I think this is the surprise of the passage, really. Verse 41, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, let's just step back and think about what Jesus did, right? He stood up in a boat in the middle of a storm and he talked to the weather and it did what he said. We have highly trained meteorologists who can't even predict the weather very well. Sometimes no better than a groundhog, much less control the weather, right? Jesus, Jesus commands a storm, knock it off, and, and it stops. And not only did the wind stop, but it says the water became completely calm. Have you ever been out on a lake or the sea that is like a sheet of glass? I, I, I'll speak probably for all my fellow fishermen, that's the best time to be out in a fishing boat, right? You can literally see your reflection in the water, and the sense of tranquility and peace just sort of permeates your whole body. So in the ancient world, there was this widespread belief that the sea was menacing and dangerous and totally uncontrollable. Only the gods or only God could control the sea. In fact, there's a story in the book of Maccabees, which is part of the Apocrypha. It's a story about Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a Greek ruler who persecuted the Jewish people in the second century BC. And he was very arrogant and he claimed that he had the power to calm the waves. Whoa. You know what the Jewish rabbis said in response to that? They didn't say, oh, shut up, you big bragger, you're so arrogant. They said, that's blasphemy because you are claiming for yourself something that only God can claim. Psalm 89, verses eight and nine, listen. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. So think about this. Jesus did something that everybody knew only God could do. He told a hurricane to be still, and it happened, and they're floating on a sea of glass. So in response, the disciples were overjoyed, relieved, giddy, high-fiving. Way to go, Jesus! No, what does it say? The disciples were, tell me, terrified, terrified. Literally, the Greek says they feared with great fear. The Greek word for great is mega. So they feared with mega fear. Well, that's weird. Jesus had just rebuked them for being afraid, right? Why are you so afraid? And now when the danger's passed and they're all safe, it says they feared with great fear. Why? because they were realizing something about this man they were following that they had not realized before. And it was this, 
that Jesus is more powerful and is more wild and untamable and is more awe-inspiring and scary than even the sea. I want to say that again. <laughs> they were realizing that Jesus is more powerful and awe-inspiring than they even realized. If you do not, if you do not view Jesus, if you have not realized and stood in awe of the sheer power of Jesus, I'm telling you, you don't know the real Jesus. You don't, you don't know, you don't know who it is. And here's why that's so important. He will never be a strong foundation and fortress and comfort and rock in your life until you stand in awe of his power. I love the, uh, the children's series by C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. And there's, a, uh, there's a, a creature that represents Christ. Somebody tell me what creature represents Jesus. A lion, Aslan lion, very biblical image for, for Jesus, right? And so there's a scene in the first book where there's a character who meets this lion who represents Jesus. And then later he's explaining it to one of the little girls um, who's a one of the main characters in the story. And she says to him, um, a lion, she says, is he, is he quite safe? I shall feel nervous about meeting a lion. And this man who has met the lion says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So if you are in a storm and you're feeling intimidated by, by the storm, realize that the Jesus who loves you is more intimidating than the storm. <laughs> I've always loved the way that Oswald Chambers phrased this. He said, the remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas when you don't fear God, you fear everything else. And so today, would you allow this encounter with Jesus that you're having through the word of God today, would you allow this to build in you a holy reverence and fear and awe of who Jesus is? I promise you, your other fears will get much smaller. But he's not just big and powerful and awe-inspiring. He's good, and he loves you. Remember little Ryan Dobson on, the, on the, 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 the examining table? And his father said, I would have gladly traded places with him if I could. The amazing thing is that not only would Jesus have rather traded places with us, he did. Because the ultimate storm, the ultimate infection is sin. That's the thing that just messes up our lives and destroys our relationships and separates us from our creator. In fact, if something's not done about it, sin will separate us from our creator for eternity. And when Jesus came and when he went to the cross, he took our infection on himself. Isaiah 53 says, surely he carried our sorrows and bore our diseases. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God, which our sin deserves. He took it so that we don't have to. Praise him for that, amen? Praise him for that. And so if you ever feel like, I don't know if God cares, I don't know if God's left me alone here, please look at the cross. And remember, he didn't stay aloof. He didn't just sit up there and give commands. He came down and walked with us and he suffered along with us. And on the cross, he took our place and suffered instead of us. You know, sometimes he calms the storm. You guys know this. He doesn't always do that. Sometimes he lets the storm rage, right? But he calms us, and he enables us to sleep even in the midst of a storm. 
And so I just wanna prepare you, and I know some of you are in it right now, but if you're not in a storm right now, a storm is coming, I can guarantee that. And when that happens, the thing that'll make all the difference is that you remember who you have in the boat with you. Trust him, he will get you through it. Would you rise for our closing? As we close today, I'd like to just pronounce a, a blessing, a benediction over us as a congregation. So I just wanna invite you to, uh, to receive closed eyes, open hands if you're comfortable. Receive the benediction now. And now may the Jesus who calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee so fill your heart with awe and wonder at his power that all your other fears go away. In the name of Jesus, our storm tamer, amen. Amen. God bless you.